This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Well, should Indigenous education be mandatory for lawyers practicing in Canada? In particular, today we'll talk about a vote. Members of the Law Society of Alberta went down yesterday. About 3,400 lawyers took part. That's about one in three lawyers that are practicing in our home province. Say approximately 10,000 lawyers licensed and actively practicing in the province of Alberta, 3,400 of them yesterday, voting on what I think is now a rule more commonly known, safe to say that it would have been a while ago. It's rule 67.4. I mean, how much do those of us, especially not part of a professional association, know about the inner workings, the requirements, the licensing requirements, so to speak, of professional associations? Almost a rhetorical question, right? We don't know a lot. How much do we know if we're not a doctor about what the college and physicians of surgeons would require from doctors or or what the teachers governing bodies would require or the lawyers for that matter? But this rule in particular, 67.4, became a bit of a hot button issue because its requirement That is a mandatory course, a professional development course for Alberta lawyers to school themselves, to get up to speed on Indigenous culture. This, one of the results, one of the calls to action, quite frankly, of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was being challenged by a group uh, led by a lawyer out of Calgary, Roger Song, who had started a petition that was calling this essentially inappropriate. The, The Law Society of Alberta outstepping its bounds, requiring this education this professional development in order for lawyers to practice so what if they don't you're asking well quite simply suspended lawyers had 18 months to complete the course known as the path and that deadline hit last october but a number of lawyers across the province said quite frankly they weren't going to do it and so yesterday it went to a vote we're going to be talking in just a moment to two lawyers that practice in Alberta right now. One of them in particular, Corin Lightning Earl, who's going to join us, started a letter of support for the requirement that gleaned about 400 signatures. Now, I want to let you know before we get into this conversation that we did request an interview with Roger Song out of Calgary. He did not respond to our request for an interview. We also reached out to the Law Society of Alberta, and while they declined our interview request, they did provide a statement, which we'll reference in this conversation on the show. We want to make sure that we're representing the perspectives across the board, the dissenting ones included. And so I will be citing some of the comments that were made by Roger Song and other critics, uh, a lawyer as well, Gullet out of Calgary, uh, that penned an op-ed for the Western Standard. You know that, a conservative independent media site. And we want to make sure that their points are made as part of this uh, conversation, regardless of the fact that uh, Roger Song did not make himself available for this conversation. I'm also curious to know where you land on this. Now, one question in one context may come across as rather simplistic, perhaps even obvious. Should professionals in Canada have a solid working understanding of Indigenous culture in able to be able to properly and in a modern era 
can we say an enlightened area, uh, provide the services that you might expect from accredited professionals. But the critics of this training will tell you that they don't necessarily take issue with an indigenous cultural component. As a matter of fact, some of the nay votes yesterday, and there were 864 of them, not three or four, the critics were suggesting that the Law Society of Alberta is outstepping its boundary, that they don't have a problem with requiring cultural competency or cultural sensitivity training or cultural courses as part of professional development, but they don't believe that the Law Society's role should be to threaten suspension if an individual, professional individual, refuses to participate in the course. I'm going to put that in front of our two guests coming up in just a moment. We wanted to let you know as well, coming up on the show, we're going to head up to the rooftop of a fire hall in our hometown. Firefighters are camped out right now for a good cause. The fellow we're going to talk to has been doing this for a decade now. And Johnny, for people that don't live in our city, I would suggest that these guys, Mother Nature is going a little bit easier on them this week than she has in past, Yeah, which is nice. We're sitting with some pretty balmy temperatures right now. You know, some of these firefighters have been up on that roof in minus 25. <laughs> Either way, they're going to be up there raising money, and we're going to figure out exactly why and let you know how, if you feel inclined, you can support them. Plus, imagine if your pet could talk to you. That's going to be the feature of our innovation celebration that is the Leading Edge, presented every Tuesday here on the show by our friends at Leading Edge Physiotherapy. So the vote goes down yesterday. About 3,400 lawyers take part. 75% of them vote to keep the mandatory Indigenous cultural component. Two of those votes came from Corin Lightning Earl and Brooks Arkan Paul, who both practice law in Alberta, both of them kind enough to make time for Real Talk this morning. Welcome to the show, both of you. Thank you so much for being here. Corin, if I understand correctly, you're the one that started that letter that ended up receiving more than 400 signatures in support of this cultural component. What prompted you to take that initiative? So there was a team of five of us. Um, a friend, Anna Lund, messaged me on Thursday afternoon. She's like, have you seen this petition? Have you seen this petition? And I was like, I let me just get home. Let me just, and I got home and I read it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to sleep on it. And I woke up on Friday morning. I'm like, okay, I'm angry. Let's do something. And so there was five of us, uh, myself, Anna Lund, Hadley Friedland, Sarah Creekle, uh, Laird, who worked together to get the letter out, to get some op-eds out, just to start spreading the word and seeing what we could do within our own networks. Uh, so we really um, came together and we were able to mobilize uh, 40 lawyers and 124 other either non-active or professors or student at laws or students or and legal organizations to sign the letter. So it took us less than 40, uh, around 48 hours to do that. What was it in particular that made you angry? Well, it's 2023 and we're still having to defend ourselves and justify our existence as Indigenous people. Uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission came out with their report, uh, several volumes and the calls to action and people still and people still think that um, they're not applicable, that we don't need to learn about this history. Like it's 2023. If my 16 year old thinks it's a good idea uh, and questions these lawyers who are way above her in education, uh, then and if 10-year-olds can also learn this education. Why can't lawyers? Why do we think we're above the TRC calls to action? 
Uh, Brooks, people were wondering what it might look like with about 3,400 lawyers on a Zoom call. Uh, an interesting experience to be sure, but but a moment uh, that you participated in. As a matter of fact, a message that you delivered uh, partially in Cree uh, yesterday really resonated with a lot of people. Can you can you tell me about where your head was at as you addressed your fellow professionals? Yeah, and I, I didn't really think too much about how many folks were online and the fact that all of these people have likely been practicing law for well over 10, 20 years um, and have maybe never heard Cree in these spaces because that's what our profession is. Our profession has been very conservative, very uh, very against uh, including new ideas and um, making that big change like this uh, cultural competency training was uh, it was intending to do um what what it was really heartwarming was the messages of support that i received afterward um i didn't realize that that was going to be as big or as uh, emotional as it was because to be honest ryan i was trying to bring a little bit of levity in my speech uh, i made it a little bit of a joke because that in our culture in in Cree and nehia ways uh, we laugh. We love to laugh, and that was one of the things that I liked. To, I wanted to pull out was that for all of these horrible things that we've gone through, we've created a shield. We've been able to uh, protect ourselves from the outside world, from all of the systemic racism, the overt racism, the covert, covert racism that we've been experiencing. Um, and and we use laughter as a medicine to make sure that we are protecting ourselves and from. To be able to bring that to my colleagues and to hear the response uh, on the vote uh, against the petition was phenomenal to see 75% of those lawyers that logged on yesterday were in support. Um, it was really wonderful and the outpouring of support that followed right after just uh, mind blowing. Uh, I'm not the one that hands out the hardware on Twitter, but I did take the bold move yesterday of awarding the tweet of the week. Uh, to Edmonton White Mud MLA Rocky Pancholi, who was paying attention to, to the hearing yesterday, to the vote, I should say. Uh, she tweeted today, this is yesterday, an Alberta lawyer argued that requiring lawyers to take an Indigenous cultural course was the same as forcing Indigenous children into residential schools. And I've never heard a more powerful argument for requiring lawyers to take an Indigenous cultural course. I thought she nailed it in 280 characters or less. Uh, Corin, did you happen to hear that comment? Uh, what did you make of, of some of the detractors and what they had to say yesterday? So we had to listen through all of the comments, all of the, the, the petitioners' uh, views. Uh, and it's difficult sitting in, the, sitting in there listening as an Indigenous person, not just as a lawyer, but as an Indigenous person um, who comes from a, a line of... Uh, people who have been to residential school, who myself went to day school under the control of Indian Affairs. And to hear people say those comments, if anything, when I talked with my colleagues after, or just even during the tweets and text, it was like, if anything, this is more reason why we need this uh, education. If they haven't uh, taken it in, then there's obviously a lot more work to do. Uh, and there's a lot more work that people need to do internally uh, and a lot more work we need to do in our legal and education system because these are people that are in courtrooms fighting uh, either on the side of Indigenous people as their defense counsel or in child welfare or Office of the Child and Youth Advocate or they're on the opposite side and those are their views about Indigenous people. That's scary. Yeah. Brooks, go ahead. 
Yeah, it's really scary to know that, you know, all these lawyers that were in these spaces are the ones that are representing either our children or the accused in criminal justice system and children in in child welfare uh, system. And for them to not understand the lived realities and to really push back on this is really quite concerning. I do want to make a, a, a little bit of a shout out to Rocky because that that tweet was very powerful and it really hit the nail on the head because the amount of vitriol that we've experienced both online, uh, but also on the Zoom call was was disgusting. Um, at one point, one of our fellow colleagues, who's an Indigenous lawyer herself, um, was stopped and called on a point of order for basically calling out racism. And in that moment, even the chair had agreed with it that it was uh, it was uh, a little bit uh, uh, violent towards the member, uh, sorry, towards the members that were calling this out, that were petitioning. But this is exactly how racism works. And this is how these, these op- systems are operated and um, infiltrated by this type of hatred. It goes by uh, people not understanding what we mean when we call it out. And when we do call it out, we get told that, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't, it's not what they meant. It's not what was going on at the time. But we know full well, because we've been living with this stuff. We're not living in a vacuum. We literally experience this every day. We know the type of ignorance that this these comments come from um, and the intentional pain that it's they're intending to cause. It's really quite concerning. But again, like I said, we're, we're so used to it that whenever we call it out, we, we even anticipated that the chair was going to push back and say, well, no, this isn't this isn't racism. Uh, you're you'll have to reframe our story. He did say that it was racism and the, the speaker had to reframe well, who was an indigenous woman. Um, it was pretty disgusting. And then whenever we called out the racism, somebody had used the hard I word uh, for Oof. referring to indigenous people. And when we called it out, it wasn't even pulled aside and, and uh, reframed. It was considered legal because of the Indian Act and the fact that we are still considered Indians under that piece of racist legislation. Okay, so so uh, so in semantics, arguing for the right to use that word on the record in front of more than 3,000 of their colleagues. It's an interesting stance to take. Uh, let me ask both of you this. The the optimist might say, hey, listen, three out of four Alberta lawyers that participated, uh, like I said earlier, about thirty, you know, about a third of, of, of the professionally accredited lawyers in the province participated yesterday, which, you know, de- depending on your perspective on turnout, it, that might be about what people expected. Three out of four support it. And the optimist would celebrate that. The pessimist or, or the realist might say, hey, but one in four don't. And that's not a negligible number. Like 864 lawyers went on the record yesterday to say no. Uh, Corin, what has this done, if anything, to, to your impression of, of, of where your profession is at right now? And, and for that matter, where, where the governing body is, the Law Society of Alberta. So I used to work for the Law Society uh, several years ago before the path came into effect. I was part of the the, the initial uh, Indigenous Initiatives Liaison. And we where we just started with education for the benchers, education for the Law Society. It was about before we change the culture of lawyers, we need to change, do the in-house work. And so I saw that yesterday. They had to be very impartial, but past benchers spoke, our past president spoke up. Uh, president of ALIA spoke up uh, against this petition. And so those voices, um, when I, this, it shows that this profession can be a safe place. Outside my office, I had 15 Indigenous 
these law students sitting and waiting and wondering, saying, am I valued? Is my history valued in this profession? Is it a safe place? Should I continue? And I, we, when they heard us shouting, they're like, okay. And they were very, they were so happy because it gives you hope uh, for the 800 peoples. I can tell you the public wants names. And it wasn't publicly noted who, uh, it wasn't a public uh, vote, um, but the people want names. Um, Corinne, you're talking about people that voted no? You're, they want the names of people who voted no? There was just so much going on. How do you record a public vote with that magnitude? And I think the law study did a great job in facilitating the conversation. But I think it's worth it for people to say, ask their lawyers, like, where do you stand on this? Mm-hmm. Everybody knows about it. Everybody's talking about it. Have those conversations. If we're going to hire people to do the law for us and carry out law, we want to make sure that we have the same ethics at the, as them, right? Yeah. And, and, and I think, I mean, you know, we were... Gosh, we were. T- I'm, not, I'm not trying to draw parallel lines between different stories here, so please don't read too much into it. But, but just a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about, you know, whether or not you know multi-million dollar athletes that are part of a team should be required to don a pride jersey on Pride Night to skate in warmups, as an example. And it's it started interesting conversations around professional obligations and consequences and personal convictions. And and I hope that these are these conversations are prompting people to to think more strongly about where they land on this type of thing. Um, Brooks, I did mention that we extended an invite to Roger Song, who's a, the lawyer out of Calgary, who was the first uh, to sign on to the petition uh, calling for, for the, the dismissal, the removal of uh, Rule 67.4. Uh, he told the CBC uh, that he does not believe that Canada as a country has a history of systemic discrimination. Uh, he said, <laughs> quote, the law society, and I'll give you a chance to respond, the law society can impose whatever education if they believe that that type of program is necessary for lawyers, but that type of regime is wrong. He said to me, uh, this is not necessary. He said, you can believe what you want to believe. Uh, he compared this, this mandatory course and the penalty suspension for failing to complete it, uh, to his time living in China. Uh, if Mr. Song had agreed to join us this morning, what would you say to him? Well, I would remind him that being a lawyer in this profession and to be regulated by our law society is a voluntary option. The comparison to China and the comparison to uh, the law society being a specific regime that doesn't take into account um, whatever he's trying to argue is is just false. And it is uh, it is leading us down this path of uh, the idea that our regulator is a an all encompassing uh, dictatorship when it quite is it's quite the opposite. The point of our regulator is to make sure that we are doing what is required of us as lawyers. This includes continuing our professional development. And that's not new to the profession. That's the same across the board. Uh, This type of argument was, you know, uh, couched in in this idea that um, what the law society was doing was an overreach of power. And there is like there was a lot of that being brought forward by the the speakers in, in support of this petition yesterday. What a lot of the concern was on the procedural rights of the law society, but yet a lot of the the conversation that Mr. Song and his colleagues forgot is that this reg- this profession is highly self-regulated. Are we elect our benchers? And this is, I think, I want to point out as well a big point that's going to come up in the next little while. But just like with Take Back Alberta um, infiltrating with the political realm, you're going to start seeing these types of people occupying bencher spots because there's bencher elections coming up. And those benchers, for those that don't know, are the ones that set the, the standards that we need to meet, making sure that our 
profession continues to be regulated. They're the ones that make the really high-level decisions. And when you start uh, visiting the idea of folks in this slate of Take, up, take Back Alberta, which is the far-right slate, uh, thinking about taking over the law society, you really, you really start seeing a theme here. And Mr. Song, unfortunately, I think became one of those moving targets for them. Um, or perhaps he's part of them. I don't, I'm not sure where, what his intentions are. But I really would caution him on on um, siding with places like the JCCF, and then on top of it, the the um, uh, the uh, sorry, the just focusing on the wrong side of things, making mm. sure that they are pushing this political agenda because that's one of the main arguments that they've been trying to make that this indigenous cultural competency has been predicated on this woke culture on this idea uh, that human rights are the bare minimum that we can be providing as a society. I think at the end of the day, uh, Mr. Song and his colleagues are just upset that society is moving in a direction that they're not going in and they are being left on the outside. It's okay to be afraid of that of change, but to step in the way of progress is really disheartening and to make links to our regular our, our, our legal society, our law society of Alberta, which is a self-governing body to, to liken it to communist China and, and dictatorial rule is a big stretch. And it's akin to those types of arguments that people were making, saying that residential school is a going kids being forced to go to residential school is just as bad as lawyers being forced to undertake uh, mandatory training on Indigenous cultural competency. And I, it, yeah, I just, I need to stop there because I don't want to get too far. And it's, it is, uh, well, it is pretty concerning. I, I will respectfully disagree with you that you need to stop. But if you feel compelled, then that's your right. Of course, I, I, for context, for, for, for people that are listening on the podcast that may not be sure, the JCCF is the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, uh, headed by John Carpe and others. You may remember them in the news for a number of fronts, in particular fights against COVID vaccine mandates and the like. And a number of years ago, a controversial comparison uh, when Mr. Carpe linked the pride flag to the swastika, which, of course, raised many eyebrows across the province. Those of you listening on the podcast would not see uh, Mr. Archon Paul giving himself a migraine by rolling his eyes so heavily. I should also mention there is talk of politicking here, and for context, it is relevant to mention, uh, Brooks, that you are the candidate for the Alberta NDP in Edmonton West Henday. That election expected to come up uh, in the month of May. I wanted to cite uh, a column that was published by Derek Fildebrandt's Western Standard, a lawyer uh, by the name of Glenn Blackett, and I want to give both of you an opportunity to respond to this uh, rights quote, the legality of the Law Society of Alberta mandating cultural re-education is doubtful. He says, unlike other Canadian law societies, Alberta's Legal Professions Act does not appear to give the society the right to impose continuing professional development. Uh, he says it relies in part and improperly on Truth and Reconciliation Commission call to action number 27, uh, writes Mr. Blackett, even if the Law Society has this power, there is no shoehorn long enough to cram the foot of cultural competency into the shoe of continuing professional development. He writes, the path, which is the course, is re-education into a brand of wokeness called decolonization. It employs a postmodern ideology, relies on a clumsy and distorted history to demonstrate Canada's historical relationship with indigenous communities is largely one of racism and genocide, evils which somehow remain lodged in Canadian law and legal structures. His column continues, whether or not this is true, 
A country mile separates this kind of political speculation from the core legal and ethical competencies, which are the appropriate business of a law society. And here's his hook. He says the Law Society of Alberta's job is to ensure competence and integrity, not to impose political indoctrination. Uh, I'd like both of you to respond. If you don't mind, Corin, why don't you go first? I didn't know my history was political. I just thought it was history. <laughs> um, and, so, and so when I think about the history and I think about these people with woke culture and whether or not they believe, um, it's not about believing. Facts are facts. Um, my grandmother went to residential school in 1934 with her sister. Uh, they went to St. Del- to Delmas Indian Residential School in Saskatchewan, one of the worst schools ever. And it ended up being burnt down. And my grandmother's sister, Caroline, died in residential school. She didn't make it home. We don't know where she's buried. We, her body was not returned to Thunder Child First Nation. My family doesn't know if she, she, they don't have, there's no grave markers anywhere. Her body is among those being found at the residential schools. That's a fact. The fact is that I'm here because my grandmother survived. That's a fact. The fact is that the Law Society has to, is, a, is our regulator. We chose to be regulated by this Law Society. We chose to become lawyers. We chose to swear oaths to uphold professionalism. We are not, we are beyond the reasonable person. We have to uphold our health to higher ethics. And one of the responsibilities of the Law Society and self-regulation is the public interest. This is the public interest. This is not political. You can dress up discrimination. You, you can dress up unconscious bias however you want with whatever legal jargon you want to. But at the end of the day, when you take that all off, it's still discrimination and unconscious bias. Mm. Brooks? Uh, yeah, I was hoping you weren't going to bring up this article because it's such a, I mean, the type of language that's used in it is is just so uh, difficult because it is it goes back to uh, the concept of the Law Society of Alberta being the most easy, uh, I guess, jurisdiction in Canada that doesn't have to uh, uh, undergo registrations. And I've done the registration applications for uh, continuing professional development for every jurisdiction in this country when I was the vice president of the Indigenous Bar Association in Canada. And we are the easiest jurisdiction to get your CPD accredited. You don't even have to make applications. You just have to check off a form saying, I did do my necessary learning and I did do my necessary uh, uh, required professional development. But uh, like, look at Law Society of Ontario. It is very stringent. They don't always accept every type of uh, hour for training that you're applying for. And they are one of the jurisdictions in Canada, including, I think, New Brunswick. There's also Saskatchewan. Um, that you have to make these applications to to do your CPD and you have to prove to the law society that you do that. Here in Alberta, it's just willy-nilly. You just say, yeah, I did, I, I, I did what I needed to do. And there's no real accountability measures for folks to prove that they've done that CPD. So it's like an on, on an honor system. I guess where a lot of the concern is, is that we are making that change as a law society. And that's where people are getting upset 
and they're trying to couch the language in in this idea that CPD should continue to be on that honor system. But when it comes to this Indigenous cultural competency stuff, we know why people won't take this. There, there needs to be a mandatory component to it because folks like those 800 and some change that voted uh, for the petition needed the training. And, and certainly those 20 that have been administratively suspended really did need that training because they are the ones that are, are supposed to be uh, supporting the public. They are the ones that are going to come into contact with an Indigenous person either suffering some kind of trauma or needing their services by going into their office. Like, it's not far off. We have interactions with Indigenous people everywhere that we go. And for these folks that aren't taking the training, they're really missing out. They're, they're not understanding how this trauma affects intergenerationally. Uh, they don't understand that, you know, people that are, are living differently from them, whether that's on reserve or living in our major urban centers or experiencing houselessness in our major urban centers, they are, are suffering and they're not able to, to deal with their traumas because they're meeting these folks that may have their first instance of them uh, in a courtroom or in, a, in the child welfare system. And they, they have on the other side, somebody who just does not understand them and doesn't understand their lived reality. Whereas now, this training that has been made mandatory for all these super old lawyers, some of the old old school uh, folks, um, we don't have to worry about that with students because we have mandatory training in the universities. We mm. have these students that are coming up that are open to these ideas that understand uh, the work that needs to be done whenever they they hit the ground running. And I do uh, frequent sessional lectures, and Corin is a as a, is a uh, associate professor or uh, some type of teacher at the University of Alberta, sessional. sessional, sessional instructor. And a lot of the, uh, the feedback that we get and a lot of the conversations that we're having with the law students are wonderful. They are asking the questions. They are concerned. And it isn't about being woke. It's about being a uh, understanding of where indigenous people are coming from, the traumas that we have experienced and how we move forward together as treaty intended. And that's a big part of why this, this training is necessary for folks to really understand what our obligations are to each other as it was intended when our ancestors met uh, hundreds of years ago to agree to share this land uh, for as long as the sun shines, the grass grows and the rivers flow. Mm. Uh, you know, we had our, our pond hockey classic out in uh, St. Albert on Saturday and, and uh, Mayor Kathy Heron was out there um, to, to deliver a land acknowledgement as, as we kicked off the ceremony. And she this what I'm about to suggest is hardly profound, but I appreciated the reminder from her worship uh, that the treaties are agreements that were made between two parties and that we are all treaty people. And I thought that that was a, a good reminder. Uh, I also respect both of your time, and I recognize I need to let you go. You've got jobs to do today. Uh, I'll give you a chance to wrap, Brooks, but I just wanted to say some, two things I want to say real quick. Number one, it's not lost on me and I don't think it's lost on most people that are going to be listening to or watching this, that the disproportionate representation of indigenous people incarcerated across the country, I think makes this especially relevant. I do also want to give a moment. We did invite uh, Mr. Ken Warren, King's Council president of the Law Society of Alberta to join us this morning. Uh, the Law Society not providing or not making him available. However, he did provide a statement. Uh, this from the president of the Law Society, quote, clearly the issues discussed at the special meeting 
Wyoming have captured the attention of many Alberta lawyers and the wider public. Ultimately, we are pleased to see Rule 67.4 affirmed by the profession. This rule is significant for the law society to continue to carry out our duties of self-regulation in the public interest. Uh, both of you, a chance to wrap. Uh, I'd hate to leave a final thought on the table with, without hearing it. Brooks, why don't you go first? Well, I just I, I love uh, her worship, uh, Mayor uh, Heron. Uh, the one thing I would just clarify is that our treaties aren't agreements. They're not the traditional contract conception that we have under the common law. Uh, they're relationships. They're ongoing mm-hmm. relationships that are required between two people, two groups, whether that's, uh, well, it is the Indigenous people and the non-Indigenous people. Whether you are new to Canada, you are also party to that treaty and you are a beneficiary of being able to live on this land because of the treaty and you have obligations to the Indigenous people that live here as well. So I want to just m- clarify that. And, and Brooks, we- I may have butchered her delivery, so that may be my words, not hers. Yeah, fair. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, and I think where where we're going as a profession, I think looking at the way that the the my, our colleagues showed up is really what we need to be looking at. We need to understand that there are still many lawyers out there that took a lot of time out of the day. And I was trying to do the math in my head uh, afterwards and just thinking about the lawyer rates that they spent. They took out of their time. That was about two hours yesterday uh, that they had to take out of their time. And if you're billing at about three to seven hundred dollars an hour, I can only imagine how much money was was lost on that day and how many lawyers were not able to bill during that time. And that's pretty significant that that many folks showed up. Our profession, I've I've been so worried and I've been seeing the comments from some of the younger lawyers that are just now joining the profession, uh, really questioning their ability to be in this space. And Corin mentioned this earlier, talking about the students. But e- even myself, who has been doing this for some time now, I even question my my. Uh, belonging here oftentimes, Hmm. experiencing racism in firms, experiencing racism in courtrooms, Um, you really start wondering why you're doing this and why we keep fighting. But I think that, that our colleagues have shown us that there is light on the horizon. There is possibility for this change to be greater than us uh, and that these conversations are now shifting to being more inclusive, that diversity is there and equity is always a, a part of our profession that we should be seeking. And we shouldn't give that up. I think what this petition showed us is that uh, we have allies, we have folks that are standing on the right side of history, and that we will uh, continue fighting for the next seven generations. So then that way they don't have to friggin' fight for this. Sorry, I almost swore there. But you're allowed to, Brooks. Myself. You're allowed. You're allowed to swear on this show. <laughs> but thank you, Ryan, and and thank you for bringing this conversation to uh, to light. Um, because it is a really big one. And I just want folks on the other side to know that the legal profession is is all right for now, but we will remain vigilant. We will remember those folks that spoke up and that signed those petitions. And we will remember uh, so that this doesn't happen again. Hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll confess that I used the calculator on my phone, but I, I can let you know that 3,400 lawyers times two hours billing at an average rate of $450 an hour is $3,060,000. Corin. Last word to you, my friend. Uh, I One, I think Ken uh, Warren did a great job. Trying, it's hard to lawyer a bunch of lawyers. <laughs> um, so 
like that it was yeah it was interesting to see uh, but he did a really good job in facilitating and allowing both sides to have their say um and so but this isn't uh this is not cultural political or indoctrination this is about learning and understanding facts the truth and reconciliation commission two commissioners which were lawyers, one who is a judge, one who is a treaty chief, uh, undertook a six-year truth-seeking process. And it's common to hear people question the facts. Maybe they've never read the report. Maybe they've never read the findings. Maybe learning that information. And I teach TRC in the law. It's a four-month course, It's not, and it's not free. This path was 18 months and free to mm -hmm. lawyers. Uh, I teach TRC in the law with uh, students and we go through and we read the TRC and we have those conversations about where does this intersect with law? What does this mean for law and society? And we have the conversations and the change we see in people. But I also see that sometimes people struggle with this information because the history challenges your views. It challenges maybe how you were raised, the views of your family, having to go home with views of people who still believe Indians should be on reserve and kept in a box. And so, and I understand that that is hard. I wouldn't, and our profession doesn't teach empathy. We're taught to be, to do this and do that and don't show emotion. And this history does bring up emotion. And maybe that's where people feel the, the pressure. And I encourage people who to really take a deep dive into what, the, why do you feel this way? Why do you want to stand in a room full of people who think that it, uh, residential schools aren't real? Why do you want to side with them and be in that room with them? Hmm. And it's about basic competency, learning facts that we weren't taught in our educational system. We learn about what happens in other countries. My children come home from social. I have a high school and a junior high. And they tell me about the, what they're learning in other countries. And they're slowly start. And my kids always speak up in class. They're like, "Actually, I'm I'm Cree. Actually, this." And the fact that some members can't see the connection to ethics and competency demonstrates how much more there is to learn. Corin Lightning Earl uh, hails from Samson Cree Nation. She's the legal director of the Kotuin Law and Governance Lodge. Uh, Brooks Arkan Paul is uh, Cree from Alexander First Nation. Uh, in-house legal counsel to the First Nation and former vice president of the Indigenous Bar Association of Canada. As Gord Downey once said to the Rio Statics, we are richer having heard from you today. Thanks for both of your time. Thanks, Ryan. Those are two people that I'm very grateful made themselves available for the show. Me too. I feel like my understanding of this is deepened uh, even further mm -hmm. by hearing about those personal experiences I want to thank those of you that participate in our live chat. That's one of the benefits of, of course, tuning into Real Talk live at 830 Mountain at 1030 Eastern time. Uh, there's some good back and forth, some respectful back and forth from people who are disagreeing, quite frankly, on the role of professional associations. Alyssa says, I would highly recommend the Indigenous Relations course through the U of A. This is the one that Dan Levy. I talk about this one all the time. Yeah, yeah he was he was a big champion of this. He, he took it. Yeah, um, I'm registered for it and I'm in the early stages, but mm -hmm. I've made a commitment to complete it. I, I, I believe that everybody should. You don't have to be registered at the U of A. It doesn't cost a dollar. It's a free online course. It's free. Alyssa says, I guarantee you don't know even a quarter of actual Indigenous history. 
Yeah, there's a lot of myths around. I like how uh, Brooks said uh, it's like uh, treaties are relationships. Yeah. A lot of people have these myths like their land sale agreements or that like on the reverse side, they only benefit indigenous people or like they have no relevance today. Mm. But like even before Europeans came here, indigenous people were making treaties before Europeans even came to Mm. this continent, to Turtle Island, whatever you want to say. And uh, I think that's one of the big things, like not just lawyers, we all need to get up to snuff. We all need to get educated because there's a lot of myths out there. What about this comment? I appreciate that, Johnny, uh, from Kimberly, who said when I worked at United Way, as an example, she said we had several learning opportunities during Indigenous Week uh, annually that were mandatory participation. Uh, Many of you are, are saying that you would want to see the names of the lawyers that voted no to this. I gosh, I you know what? I I, I think on that, uh, I can understand why you'd want to know where your lawyer or a potential lawyer stands on something. Obviously, I would encourage you to challenge your lawyer or to ask them directly. I don't know how I feel about a professional association releasing a list, uh, making public the results of a vote. I mean, it was a public hearing. Hmm. Let me chew on that one. Erica says every citizen, regardless of profession, should endeavor to educate themselves on indigenous culture, on Canada's complex relationship with indigenous people. But no one should be forced to. Tracy says Brooks is right. Change is hard. There will be lots of change over the next decade. Fighting it will not change that. Tracy says, in fact, progress will need to take full advantage wasn't long ago that the Pope was just south of Edmonton at Masquachis, delivering an apology from the Catholic Church for the legacy of residential schools. Things are changing. There's a lot of people that thought that hell would freeze over before that was going to happen. You can let us know what you think about this. How about this comment from Chad? Chad says, how great would it be if the public education system made this a moot issue? Uh, by making sure that all Canadians know our history. Mm-hmm. Air, Mitch, Air Mitch responds and says, well, schools can't make sure that everybody knows anything. What role does the family play in learning? Oh, boy, that's a whole other can of worms, isn't it? <laughs> what's the responsibility of families and what's the responsibility of schools? Some of you wondering where Alberta's premier would land on this. I can't speak for her. Uh, I don't believe that she's on the record, uh, in particular, not about the results of this vote. Uh, maybe I won't go there. I would suggest that I think I know where she might land on this, uh, which would be hesitant uh, to endorse a mandatory participation uh, in something with a threat of suspension for a lack of participation just because of uh, her alignment with the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, just because of uh, the way that she leans there uh, in in, in the spirit of that uh, individualism. But... uh, But again, I don't speak for Alberta's premier next time that we talk to her. And I'm sure that the next time she's in front of reporters, they will ask her about that. I can tell you that we will ask the leader of the official opposition about that, Rachel Notley, when she joins us tomorrow on Wednesday's Real Talk. That'll be live at nine o'clock Mountain Time at 11 o'clock Eastern. Rachel Notley joining us on tomorrow's show. Uh, We're going to go live to the rooftop of a fire hall in just a moment. But before we do, let me let you know that these conversations happen because of sponsors like California Closets, who are innovators and leaders. I mean, they're the they're the boss when it comes to absolutely transforming closet space. But that's not it. That's not all. Did you know you can transform your garage with custom storage? 
Yeah, that's right. Your garage can be so much more than just a place where you keep your stinky hockey gear or your golf clubs or your cans and bottles for recycling or your vehicle. Johnny, am I describing my garage? I, th- I think I am. <laughs> I just California, you're like, that sounds a lot like your place, right? California closets can transform your garage with custom storage. Turn it into one of the showpieces of the home you're so proud to occupy. You can book your free design consultation today at californiaclosets.ca or give them a call at 780-469-1777. We were so excited yesterday to announce the launch of our Real Talk Cask Number 2 Maple Bourbon. That's right, in partnership with PWS Imports and Broken Barrel out of the beautiful state of California. We're proud to let you know that at whiskeydrop.ca you can find the Real Talk Maple Bourbon. It's simple. You go to the website whiskeydrop.ca you search Real Talk and there you'll find it. Our cask number two, the Broken Barrel Maple Bourbon. They can ship it anywhere in Canada or of course you can go see them in person in their West Edmonton location on 149th Street and don't forget if you're a real Talk Patreon supporter, check your email inbox. We have an exclusive sit-down whiskey tasting coming up on Thursday of this week. That's February 9th at 7 o'clock. I'm excited to meet many of you there, and thank you for your ongoing support of Real Talk. We also wanted to remind you that Friesen Brothers has a whole lot going on through the month of February, including sweet and savory charcuterie box options for Valentine's Day. You can order yours today in advance at Friesen.com. That's F-R-E-S-O-N, and pick them up in store. They're also presenting on February 25th, the future of Alberta food. It's a night of deliciousness with artisan cuisine, a challenge that will showcase the up-and-coming culinary professionals at Nate's Ernest's Restaurant. Six teams, 24 unique dishes, all of the details about this February 25th event at Friesen.com. And before we head out of this studio and to the roof of a fire hall, I wanted to remind you that this studio was proudly built by the team at Complete Care Restoration. They're our only sponsor that hopes that you never have to hire them. But if you are in the unfortunate circumstance of having experienced a flood or perhaps a fire at your home, your business, or elsewhere, chances are your insurance policy allows you to choose who does the restoration work. We recommend, based on our personal experience, the team at Complete Care Restoration. You can find them online at completecarerestoration.ca. Our next guest has seen his fair share of disasters, floods, fires, and the like. Uh, But right now, he's camped out on the rooftop of the fire hall that he works out of. Court Polson has uh, done this for 10 years now in support of a great cause, along with his colleagues on Edmonton's fire department. And we're thrilled that he's agreed to join us now live. Hey, Court, tell us exactly where you are this morning. Where are you checking in from? Uh, yeah, we're downtown Station 2, uh, 107th Street and 103rd Avenue. It's great to see you, pal. How long have you been up on the roof? Uh, we This is day two, so we're still pretty fresh. And how we're long are you going to be up ahead. there? Uh, we're hoping to come down Friday if we reach our goal of 80,000, um, but we're willing to stay longer if we don't hit that. Okay, so you're going to be up there until your total hits 80,000, period. That's right. Wow. You've been doing this 10 years now. Uh, wh- how did this first get on your radar? 
Um, you know what? It, well, muscular dystrophy is is deeply rooted in the tradition of fire departments across the nation um, and continent. But uh, for myself, I got into it just through Paul McGonigal. I really looked up to Paul as a young firefighter and uh, wanted to get involved. And from you know, it's been an amazing decade of uh, of the experiences that I've had. You know, I feel like I've got more out of this than, uh, than the individual we raise money for. Yeah, no kidding. And did, did you know much about muscular dystrophy before you got up onto the roof for the first time a decade ago? Um, not not as much uh, to a degree. I knew I knew about it, um, but uh, it's been really good getting to know more about it and, and the struggles that these people go through daily. Hey, hey Court, up, can you describe the experience for us uh, i was joking about this earlier i think it's 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 a beautiful balmy day in edmonton right now you know people that are watching this on youtube can see that you're wearing a ball cap and a hoodie uh you're not yeah. in your bunker gear you don't have a toque and and, and and your face isn't half frostbitten but there have been i know uh over the past 10 years there there have been days and overnights that have been absolutely frigid uh what are some of the more memorable experiences you've had over the last 10 years yeah, well, the reason we do it this time of year, we're hoping for a cold snap. We we embrace the cold. It, it makes people, uh, you know, the more sympathetic to our cause. Uh, but we're not complaining about this nice weather. It's it's beautiful up here. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's most memorable. We were talking about, I know one year we didn't reach our goal, and we stayed up, I think it was like 13 days, and we were, we were delirious by the end of it, but we reached that point where, you know, we're giggling and we're crying. We're laughing so hard. We're just getting to know each other, spending that much time with my friends. It's, it's been fun. And uh, we've had individuals come up and hang out with us, and it's so energizing to see them and just remind us why we're up here. Yeah, no kidding. Is, is this something that's open to the public? I don't want to send a whole bunch of people there if if it's not allowed, but, I mean, can, can kids come and, like, hop on the – I don't know, in my mind, they're getting on the ladder truck and they're going up onto the roof? Like, <laughs> is that allowed? No, 100%. Uh, come down to Station 2. There's no ladder to climb up. We have stairs that come up okay. here, but uh, <laughs> we can give tours of the fire trucks. They can come check out what we're doing, how we're living. And that goes with any fire hall. Like, if you're looking for something to do, go knock on the door of the fire hall. Guys are more than happy to just show you the trucks, get into the community. Yeah, that's great. So I'm taking a look, uh, live look right now. And uh, if people want, the, the website is edmontonrooftopcampout.ca. Uh, edmontonrooftopcampout.ca we'll put it in the show notes on the podcast and on youtube we're also going to tweet it out from our official account to make it nice and easy for people uh you've been up there for two days your goal is 80 grand you're sitting as we speak at uh, just shy of fifteen thousand. i have no doubt that by the time that we're done talking that's going to bump up past 15 and, and then well beyond there it's the idea of the fill the boot right do you get some people coming down with actual cash and filling the firefighter's boot i know that that's been a, a real a really great sort of an iconic image over the years yeah you know people the boot has been uh you know people recognize that as a muscular dystrophy thing as a firefighter thing and a lot of times people come up and the first thing they ask is where's the boot yeah so it is people enjoy putting money in the boot and we you know we try to get a picture with everyone and we post it and get your face out there on social media but yeah people seem to love it 
That's great, Court. Can you tell us what this does for, for, for you as a team? I mean, for you and your colleagues? I know if I'm understanding correctly, you're drawing firefighters from different halls, right? Um, are, yeah. are, are many of these firefighters, I mean, in particular, if this goes into day six or seven or eight or 10 or 13, I mean, are you taking days off? Is this going against your vacation? Uh, is the district chief clearing you up and freeing you up to do the fundraising? How does it all actually work out? So it's all, it's all, all uh, you know, our membership is, is amazing. We, we are supposed to be working, but we've found individuals that will work for us. They'll volunteer their time to pick up our shifts. So that gives us the ability to stay up here as, as long as we need. So everyone's on board from the top down and it's that in itself is so warming for us. To let us know that our, our brothers and sisters have our backs in this uh in this venture that we do oh it's great stuff my man well, well you can count on uh real talk for a donation and i'm going to do my best to get down to the hall there because i i know you guys aren't going to say no to to you know some 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 hot coffees and maybe some fresh donuts and if you have any requests you can you can let us know is there anything that i haven't asked you about or anything that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure that people know about before we get, let you get back to the rooftop camp out uh, not that I can think of. Like I know it's a quick weekend for a lot of people that they don't realize we were on the roof until we're down, and um, they can continue to donate after the factors. We have a fill the boot thing going year round, but uh, you know our big thing for this is awareness. A lot of people get confused with what muscular dystrophy is, and there's so many great charities out there and so many great causes. But if, you know, if people can take the time to do some research and, and look into what we do and and the people we do it for. It is truly a great cause, and I hope that we can just raise some big awareness out there. That's perfect. That's uh, Court Polson uh, joining us live from the the rooftop of Station 2 uh, in Edmonton. Again, the website is edmontonrooftopcampout.ca. All proceeds going to benefit muscular dystrophy. And, of course, you can donate across the country and around the world. It's not lost on us that Real Talk counts audience members from all over the place. Keep it up, Court. Give a shout-out to the men and women up there, and, and we'll hope to see you soon. Will do. Thanks so much. All right, my man, you got it. There's uh, Court Polson. I love that stuff. Have you ever swung by one of those rooftop campus? I haven't yet, but oh, I'm going to. I'm going to have to now. It's a. It's a, yeah. It is a vibe up there. It's a good time, and of course, all for a great cause. Uh, imagine camping out for 13 days yeah, for a cause. Jeez, I mean, you know, you're going to run into some different experiences there to be sure. We're going to be diving into the Real Talk inbox today. Uh, many of you have sent us emails over the past week or so. A lot of the subject matter that we've been covering has been resonating with you. And, and we want to make sure when we solicit your opinion, when we tell you that we want to hear from you, including the conversation we had about the Law Society of Alberta and, and mandatory uh, cultural awareness training, cultural competency training, you might call it uh you know that you can be in touch with us anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com before we do that innovation in the field of physiotherapy and health and wellness is integral it's imperative it's the bedrock of what the team does at leading edge physiotherapy which is why they sponsor every tuesday a feature called the leading edge where we celebrate innovation like oh i don't know Pets talking to their human companions? Yeah, that's right. Are you familiar with Bunny? She's the dog that has 8.2 million TikTok followers. Bunny, the talking dog that uses this innovation. It's a smart talking button system called Fluent Pet. Well, just released at the Consumer Electronics Show 2023 
Fluent Pet is going to the next level. It's now Wi-Fi enabled. So dogs and cats that have figured out how to use this system can actually send their owners push notifications directly to their phones. Yeah, that's right. If your pup needs to go outside or is hungry or maybe wants to go to the dog park, maybe they need more water in their dish, maybe they're just wondering how you're doing, they can now use the Fluent Pet Connect to directly text their owners. Oh my gosh, I'm just starting to imagine how this might be used in our house. Monroe's hungry all day, and so my phone would be absolutely blowing up. Moses, I think, would just be sending us the message, how you doing? Yeah, I think that's how Moses might operate. Hey, either way, it's safe to say that the Fluent Pet Connect is absolutely changing the game, opening the channels of communication between dogs, cats, and their human companions. Because this technology is bridging that gap, because it's actually allowing animals to talk, Fluent Pet Connect is in this week's edition of The Leading Edge, presented by our friends at Leading Edge Physiotherapy. Life shouldn't hurt. If Priscilla could talk, <laughs> just if Priscilla the Chihuahua could talk to you, what would she say? First of all, I would absolutely, I would love it because I look right in her eyes and I'm like, what are you trying to tell me? What do you need? What do you need? Food? Do you need to go outside? Do you need a pet? But like when you were talking about your phone blowing up, if, if, if we could get dogs to like text or whatever or call, my phone would be blowing up all day at work. Yeah. Hey, where are you? Yeah. Are you coming back home soon? What, so, what are you doing? Monroe's our lab. So I think that Monroe would be like, you want to go to the dog park? You want to go to the dog park? <laughs> you want to grab a snack? You want to grab a snack? And then I think Moses, he's the, he's the boxer and he's 10, right? So he's he kind of like he's he'll lay on the couch and he's like, <sighs> like he kind of does that. He sounds like a bit of a horse. I think that Moses's text would just be like, sup? <laughs> you up? What you up to? Yeah. That would be Moses. We get emails from you uh, virtually every day real talkers talk at ryanjesperson.com is where you can send us where your head's at and we got a great one from sean and i promised sean that i was going to read this because it, it turns out in a way that i may have inadvertently misrepresented the tone or the spirit of a meeting that went down in the south edmonton neighborhood south of the river anyway of richie where there was a town hall, uh, there were participants there from social agencies, uh, including uh, the Boyle Street Community Services, about a harm reduction center, about supervised consumption sites, in particular one that was planned or is planned for that area, for that neighborhood. The meeting was contentious. The meeting was heated. And I characterized it as a meeting where there was apparent and evident opposition to harm reduction. And Sean wrote in to challenge that assertion, and I appreciate it. Uh, Sean said, after listening to your conversation with Edmonton counselors Aaron Paquette and Sarah Hamilton, uh, by the way, my words, not Sean's, that was a banger last Thursday. If you missed it, you have to check it out. You will never hear, or you will rarely hear at least, uh, elected politicians, city counselors speaking as candidly and as openly and as honestly as those two did. Uh, it was an all-time favorite Real Talk moment. When Councillor Aaron Paquette divulged to us that his wife had texted him to tell him to calm down. I don't remember the last time that we all laughed so hard in the studio. That was an absolutely wonderful moment. If you missed it, that was last Thursday's show. I encourage you to check it out. Back to Sean's email. He says, you read an email about West Ritchie. He said, I was with that person at the meeting. And I think that you probably really missed 
the intended message. There was a lot of anger in the room for sure, but the more concerning thing was the the disorganization, uh, the lack of uh, uh, representation uh, from the Edmonton Police Service, from Edmonton Fire, a lack of representation from Alberta Health Services and the city of Edmonton. People were visibly mad that they could not say anything other than, quote, we'll be a good neighbor. He said Edmonton police in the back said nothing to anybody regarding more boots on the ground, more patrols, how they plan to keep our neighborhood from becoming Boyle Street. If you know Edmonton, you know that Boyle Street is a city center community off East Jasper Avenue, a very diverse neighborhood, uh, a neighborhood that represents probably the, the, the lower spectrum of the income uh, demographic in Edmonton. He says, in a matter of fact, Sean, I, I overheard one officer tell somebody they quote, really were not consulted about this. Sean says the center will be located within 500 feet of three daycares, two schools, multiple high-density condo buildings, and at least 200 local businesses. As somebody believes, uh, somebody that believes that there should be support, I have a hard time seeing this lasting more than six months. They chose a bad location across from an empty lot, and the second that it is unsightly, it will see thousands of complaints and it will just turn into another Arches. Sean's referencing Lethbridge's center that ran into opposition from the Jason Kenney conservative government. Sean says, if we're going to move forward with services like this, I think it's important to show that they can actually succeed in not destroying a neighborhood and not allow people who hate the overall idea of the sites to simply say, we told you so. Sean says, thanks for having these conversations about issues that matter. I listen daily. Keep it up. Thanks, Sean. We really appreciate that. I also wanted to get to this from Ray Lynn, who appreciated our conversation uh, last week on the future of Canadian journalism in light of recent layoffs and closures of some of the big outlets, other papers going from uh, paper and digital delivery to purely digital. We're seeing evidence everywhere that the industry is changing. This show is evidence that the industry is changing. Ray Lynn says, thank you for reiterating the importance of journalism in your interviews last week. Too often, people shy away from speaking with media. They think that the media is out to get them or to make them look silly. Raylan says, in my experience, good journalists are at their core human. If you can recognize and respect their timelines, then you know, identify what you are or are not comfortable speaking with, uh, perhaps even thank them for an interest in sharing your story. The interviewee-journalist relationship can really be beautiful. Raylan, I agree. Says it's sad what's happening with this industry across the country. It means that fewer stories are being shared. And we received this from Kayla, and I appreciated it. Do you remember when Kyle wrote in, not my brother, another Kyle wrote in, and he was talking about detox programs, and he was talking about harm reduction, and he was talking about social supports. And Kyle said that he would love to see supports for people, and these are my words, not his, that essentially are pulling themselves up by the bootstraps, that are demonstrating a commitment on their own to getting healthy, to getting off drugs, to kicking an addiction. He said he'd, he'd like to see a commitment to sobriety as a condition or as part of those supports. And then Lauren wrote in, and we read Lauren's email, who said that Kyle's letter was splendid, and she liked the idea of a social contract that obliges all of us uh, to look after those in society who need help. She says the current approach provides zero opportunity for people in need to even try to do their part. Well, Kayla had something to say about that. 
and we're all about continuing conversations. She said, I'm sorry I can't claim to remember everything about Kyle's email that you read a number of shows ago, but it struck me as somebody who was genuinely challenging their preconceived notions and evolving based on new information, and I applaud that, and I love to see it. But I can't stop thinking about the fact that he suggested that negative drug tests be required for society to be willing to help somebody. Uh, Kayla says, I understand that, that there being oversight of interventions that are meant to be temporary to try to prevent abuse, but to require negative drug tests as part of that. Are we not saying that people who use drugs are in some way less deserving of our compassion? Why is the person who tests positive for drugs not deserving of our help? Does that extend to people who drink socially? What about college students who perhaps use some of their student loans to go party on the weekend? You don't think some of that's going to drug use? Kayla said, I think that this plays into a deep-seated societal opinion that people who use drugs are less than and therefore don't deserve our help until they get clean. You spend a lot of time on this show, Ryan, talking about harm reduction, but I don't think that we're going to get very far until we start to challenge these opinions and these stigmas. You don't see a lot of people willing to publicly talk about current drug use. With strength and courage, you find a few people willing to talk about past experience but there's a very real consequence of being open about current drug use, socially, employment-wise, and otherwise. And it's actively preventing us from helping people live the most productive, happy, and successful life that they can. That from Kayla. Thanks, Kayla. You can send us an email anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. It reminds me of the interview that we had with Garth Mullen, who's the host of Crackdown Pod. Uh, this is one of the most powerful podcasts, I think, produced in the country. Mm-hmm. He is a master storyteller. And Garth uses drugs, and he talks about it openly. Not used, not past tense, uses. And he talks about it, and like Kayla alluded to, or like she spelled out, rather, uh, it really changes the tone of that conversation. Before we go, we wanted to let you know again that Rachel Notley's coming up tomorrow, not with every guest. I mean, it's a standing invitation, but some in particular, we remind you that your Perspective matters, that your questions deepen our understanding of the issues that matter most to you. So if there's a question that you would love for us to ask the leader of Alberta's official opposition tomorrow, now's the call for you to send us an email or tweet it at us using our official hashtag Real Talk RJ. That's powered by your friendly local utilities provider at Park Power. That's right. They've been powering the Real Talk RJ hashtag since our very first week. And their message has been consistent. If you're not with Park Power for electricity, natural gas, and internet, you're paying too much. You can take two minutes today and compare rates on all three utilities. Make sure you check out the different options there. One of my favorite elements of how they operate, they take a portion of their proceeds and they donate them to nonprofits in the communities where they live and work. So you, when you sign up, actually get to determine where the portion of the proceeds coming from your utilities are going to go. There's about 10 charities named there, and that's just one of the things that sets Park Power apart. Don't forget, when you bring your business to Park Power, the promo code REALTALK23 knocks 50 bucks off your first bill for every utility that you bundle. If you go all three, internet, electricity, and natural gas, that's 150 bucks off your first bill with the Real Talk 23 promo code at parkpower.ca. 
A big shout out to our friends at Eden Landscaping. I have to imagine that with the weather going the way it is right now, knock on wood, knock on wood, maybe knock on a beautiful bit of cedar, Johnny, maybe your brand new pergola, I don't know. But I bet you that the team at Eden Landscaping is starting to think about dusting off the boots and getting those shovels out and getting rolling on the projects they are going to bring outdoor spaces to life. They are problem solvers. So if you've got a drainage issue, if perhaps it's a design or aesthetic issue that you can't quite figure out, this is what they're in the business of doing. Custom landscapes for over 20 years. You can browse their portfolio and get the ball rolling on the design process by checking out landscapeedmonton.ca today. Also wanted to give a big shout out, speaking of going green, speaking of getting outside, the team at Kubi Renewable Energy wants to remind you that there are still opportunities to qualify and take advantage of that Canada Greener Homes Grant. This is that $40,000 interest-free loan that the feds have made available. 10 years to pay it off. Chances are, unless you live in a mansion, you're not going to need the full 40 grand. You know, some solar power systems are coming in around 12, 13, 14 thousand dollars right now. More affordable, more reliable than ever before. And nobody trusts solar more than those who partner and do business with Kubi Renewable Energy. The free quote today starts at kubienergy.ca. I didn't happen to notice. Did you get your hands on any dairy-free dilly bars at the Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic this weekend? Oh my God. I, I, I felt like I dropped the ball. I felt like I should have delivered you like a bouquet of those things while you were spinning I've, tunes. I've been double dillying for like the whole month. Okay, so we're January, and February. Maybe take so. a break. Hey, I'm good. The good news is, Johnny, if you need a break from the dilly bars, Valentine's Day is a perfect opportunity because you can you can switch over to the triple truffle blizzard cake right now. Yeah, that's right. Share a sweet moment of blizzard cupid cake bliss with this perfectly shareable made for you and yours heart shaped triple truffle blizzard cupid cake made with a layer of iconic triple truffle blizzard treat three decadent truffles part of that peanut butter fudge caramel and that chocolatey topping and of course a layer of world famous dq vanilla soft serve romance is in the air with the triple truffle blizzard cake from the dairy queens of northwest edmonton and sherwood park I'm talking about the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. And before we go, a message to the talented and skilled professional engineers across the country. Hey, we understand that even if you're working on big award-winning projects, even if you feel like your career is coming along in your current employment scenario, you can still feel undervalued. You can still feel uninspired. If you feel like as you're listening to this show, I'm speaking directly to you, you're going to want to check out apexautomation.ca. They've got a brand new website that lays out some of the projects they're working on, the innovative work that they're doing in engineering, fabrication, and automation, and of course, their careers link as well. They hire extraordinary people, giving them the opportunity to develop and reach their full potential both technically and as a human being. People don't leave companies, people leave people. And more people are going to Apex Automation than any other firm in the country. You can check them out online. And of course, you'll find them under the Sponsors tab on our website. That marks the wrap of this show. We thank you for tuning in. If you like what you heard today, if you found value in the conversations, 
please hit that like button. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and to our podcast as well. Rate and review the show wherever you can. These small steps help ensure that more people hear and see what we're talking about here on Real Talk. Tomorrow, she wants to be Alberta's premier again. We'll find out how Rachel Notley's going to do it. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook-Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.